We have been taught in many ways to resist the temptation to ask the question, why? Because it can be so explosive. It can cut to the very core of a particular decision or action. For instance, if you were to tell me after Mass, Father, I bought a new truck, and I said, well, why would you buy a new truck? You may be offended or upset or confused. What's the reason? Why is he asking me why? I bought a new truck. Isn't that a great thing? The normal response to that would be, well, what kind of truck was it? You know, how much did you pay for it? Did you get a good deal? We tend to talk like that. Because when we get into the why things, it gets confusing. It gets difficult. It can sometimes lead to tension and conflict. When we look at the gospel today, it's easy to kind of step back and say, what happened in the gospel? Well, Jesus treated this woman in a way that he doesn't really treat most people, and then maybe she taught him something or other. We don't want to get into the why because it can really get to the core of what Jesus is asking of us. But as people of faith, why is perhaps the most important question we can ask of our Lord and of the church. Why would Jesus do this? Now, we believe, and the church clearly teaches, that Jesus is fully aware of his divine mission. So this woman isn't revealing something to him about his mission to the Gentiles that he doesn't already know. So why is Jesus doing this? Well, I'm going to point out, I think, two things. The first is for her sake, for her to go deeper, for, to invite her to leave behind her old self and to give her life completely in following after him, to trust wholeheartedly in who he is, in his divinity and in his humanity. The second is that Jesus is teaching the apostles and therefore the church about his mission, not only to the people of Israel, but to the whole world. This is a mission that oftentimes we miss or lose within the church and even within our own hearts. Because in our own country, for the most part, and perhaps even in our own experience, Catholicism can be a very cultural thing. Uh, My Dominican headquarters, the provincial headquarters in Chicago, I believe within one square mile of that parish and building, there are 10 or 12 Catholic parishes. There's a German parish, there's a Polish parish, there's the Bohemian parish, there's the Italian parish, there's the Irish parish. They went to Mass. They built churches because that's who they were. It's something, and it was, an opportunity for them to give glory to God absolutely, but it was also a way for them to stay united and cohesive culturally. As Catholicism has developed here in this country and we've become more immersed in the everyday society, those cultural links aren't as necessarily prevalent for us. But what has happened, not only in the United States, but in the Western world, is oftentimes parishes in particular, but even our own understanding of the faith has become commercialized. We make decisions because that's what I want. We join a parish because that's the one that's most in line with my views. We look around, we shop around for ideas for parishes, for priests. We do this in our own heart and in our own life with our prayer life too. We search around until we find that absolutely perfect way of praying that is just the right thing for me. Now, none of these are necessarily in and of themselves bad things. But we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do we do these things? 
Do we do these things because we desire to grow in intimacy with Jesus Christ and with the church? Do we do these things because we desire to bring the gospel to the world? Oftentimes, it's a convoluted answer. It's not a clear answer. And so what ends up happening, and Pope Francis has spoken a lot about this, is that we can become kind of ossified in our way of thinking and doing. That the church or that the faith is this way. And that's the only possible way. Now it's true, brothers and sisters, that we can't flinch and we can't turn away from orthodoxy and the truth. But at the same time, we recognize that we are a Catholic faith, a universal church. And so how do we do that? How do we enter into this mission that Jesus Christ has given to us, that he calls for us, that Isaiah the prophet in the very first reading says this, My house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. Is your faith something that drives you ever and always agentes to the world, to the Gentiles? Because that's what Jesus desires for you. Our Holy Father said in his first apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, I dream of a missionary option. That is a missionary impulse capable of transforming everything so that the church's customs, ways of doing things, times and schedules, language and structures can be suitably challenged for the evangelization of today's world rather than for self-preservation. He continues, the parish is not an outdated institution precisely because it possesses great flexibility. It can assume great, quite different contours depending on the openness and missionary creativity of the pastor and the community. The, while certainly not the only institution which evangelizes, if the parish proves capable of self-renewal and constant adaptivity, it continues to be the church living in the midst of, her, of homes of her sons and daughters. We are called individually we are called collectively in the church to not only know and love the Lord on our own, but to desire to be a part of that mission. Jesus desires for every soul to be saved. And in order for that to happen, we have to be open to the creativity, the renewal that comes from the Holy Spirit lived in today's church and life. As a priest, when I came to St. Paul's four and a, half, a little over four years ago, I had one thing in mind. I'm a Dominican. I was going to read books, and I was going to teach classes. And everyone was going to know and love Jesus all the more because of how much I love Jesus and because of how esoteric my knowledge of theology is. That was going to change the world. But quickly I discovered that when I put all that work into it and have this great course and two people show up, on a campus of 40,000, that that might not be the most effective way to reach people. And so I listened, I asked, I was challenged by others. And now, thanks be to God, because uh, the Lord broke down my stubbornness and hardness of heart, we have a flourishing and vibrant ministry. But this is what the Lord calls us to when we ask why. Why isn't this working? Why are people falling away from the church? Why, Lord, are you calling me to this particular mission? The world and the church can change. Because this is the desire of our blessed Lord. And this is why each of us are given the Holy Spirit in our baptism 
and confirmation. Pope Francis continues that in his apostolic exhortation to the youth from a couple of years back, that Christ's church can always yield to the temptation to lose enthusiasm because she no longer hears the Lord calling her to take the risk of faith, to give her all without counting the dangers. She can be tempted to revert to seeking a false worldly form of security. In the gospel today, we see a woman who takes the risk of faith, and the Lord rewards her bountifully. Where is the Lord calling you in your personal life, in your family life, in this parish, in this archdiocese, in this country, in this world, to take that risk of faith? The apostles were 11 men from various backgrounds who were not the most well-educated. They took the risk of faith. They took the gospel to the world. And thanks be to God for that because you and I are here right now. Where can you take that risk? What is the Lord, and where in your life is the Lord calling you to take that risk of faith? Because the renewal that you need in your own life, the renewal that this parish needs, the renewal that our church in Bloomington needs, the renewal that our church in this archdiocese needs, starts with each and every one of us coming to the Lord and taking the risk of faith.